Good morning, everybody. It is awesome to worship God together, isn't it? It's so good just to gather with you in your living room there. You're all looking really tremendous this morning. Some of you still in your PJs, but that's okay. Who am I to judge? I'm not going to judge you on that. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're ready to go. You're looking terrific. I hope you have uh, the elements that you're going to need for sharing the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do really at the end of the message here. So I want to encourage you to be ready with some juice, some bread for you and your family uh, as you do that. But I want to start with kind of a silly question. Um, have you ever been told that you look just like somebody? Have you ever been like stopped, somebody comes up to you on the street and thinks you're somebody else or, or somebody walks up to you and says, hey, you look just like, I get that all the time because uh, I look exactly like my two brothers. Well, I look... I look like my two brothers if they were significantly better looking. That's basically what it is. So uh, people mistake us for each other. My mom had no idea which one of us was which ever. But uh, sometimes people just look like other people. I notice this in, uh, in movies a lot. There are people in Hollywood that look just like other people in Hollywood. There seems to be like a look that people have. And there are actors and actresses I cannot tell apart. I don't know if this happens to you. But think about this. Um, Jessica Chastain, well, well, let's not go there first. Let's go first. Emma Stone and Amy Adams. Now, I don't know about you. When you see them exactly together right there, they don't look exactly the same. But if I see one of them in a movie, I have no idea which one it is. I can't tell. They look so much alike they could be sisters. But the ones that really, really look super duper alike that you could change them out in the middle of a scene and I would not know is Jessica Chastain and Bryce Dallas Howard. They, they look like the same person to me, but uh, not related and uh, they just happen to look exactly alike. Some people look like other people. Some people, I know you've seen this online, some people look like their pets. Have you seen this picture of uh, Peyton Manning, the quarterback? He looks exactly like his dog. I think that's just awesome. And I, I don't know if anybody ever confuses one for the other, but they definitely have a family similarity there. Sometimes it's someone you know who looks just like a celebrity. I, I will never forget the first time I met Pastor Ricky. I'm looking at him, I'm like, I have seen this guy. He's got those movie star looks, right? I'm like, I have seen this guy somewhere. Who does he look like? Who does he? And then it struck me. He looks exactly like Shrek. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, like separated at birth. Like, I mean, they're basically the same guy. And, it, you know, it happens to everybody. It happens to me, too. People always tell me, man, you look just like Denzel Washington. And I go, yeah, I, I know, I get that all the time. But actually, that's ridiculous. He's a couple inches taller than me at least. So don't get us mixed up that way. Anyway, I want to get you uh, back into thinking a little bit about the Bible here. But my point is this. People look a lot alike sometimes. And the church is supposed to look a lot like Jesus. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't remind people of Jesus. But his idea for us is that as Christians, we should remind people so much of him that whenever they see us, they think Jesus. And so 
That's really what this whole sermon series is all about, is trying to help us to understand that part of God's calling in our lives is that we remind people of Jesus. And I want to start, we're going to be bouncing around in the Word today, so get your Bibles ready. And I want you to start in the book of Romans with me. And I want you to look on this very familiar passage in Romans chapter 8. And I want you to find with me verse 28 of Romans chapter 8. It says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I know you've heard that verse before. We've all heard that verse a million times. Everything's supposed to work out, right? We're supposed to be optimistic. We're supposed to be hopeful because even though things are bad, it's all going to work out, right? The thing is, we like to define what it means for everything to work out. And that's not exactly how it works because if you read the rest of the context, look at verse 29 with me. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. So God says, I know not everything is good, but everything is going to work out for good to those who love God are called according to, to his purpose. Now, let me define the good for you, God says. The good is that everyone who is a follower of Jesus would be conformed to the image of Christ. That idea of conformed is when, a, when you take clay and you mash it into a shape and you create a shape that looks like something else. We're supposed to be conformed to the image of Christ. And when God works everything for good in our lives, the way we see that is because we become more like Christ. So when you get laid off from a job, don't tell yourself, oh, that's okay. It, it means I'm going to get a promotion in another job or I'm going to get a better job. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but it means that God has an intention of actually making you more like Christ through the trial that you're going through. The idea that God has in his mind for us is that we would come to look more like Christ. Okay, how does that work? How, I mean, how do people actually get conformed to the image of Christ? How do we become more like Christ? And, and I've talked about this before and, and maybe you've heard this before, but it bears repeating. It's so important for us to remember Exactly the way that Jesus made disciples was not unusual in those days. In fact, rabbis in general would always have a small group of young men that they were discipling. A group of guys who went with them everywhere they went and they, would, uh, they were called the rabbis Talmudim. Now let me tell you how this worked for young Hebrew boys in the first century in Israel. From about age five, you started Sabbath school. And, and you began to learn the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. And you began to learn them at a five-year-old level. And then as you grew, between the ages of five and 12, there was this teaching process that you went through with the rabbis. And the goal of it was that by the age of 12, every Hebrew boy in Israel would have memorized, yes, you heard me say that, memorized the first five books of the Bible. So they spent the first seven or eight years of their lives learning the Torah. But then uh, most of them, when they turned 13 and they had a bar mitzvah and they became a man, they went off into their father's business and they, and they uh, apprenticed and they learned a trade and they moved on and got married. But the very top of the class would stay and continue their studies. And so from age of 12 to 15, you would study the prophets and uh, you would study the, uh, 
the Psalms and, and those kinds of things. And then uh, when you got to be over 15, if you were the best of the best, then at that point, a select few would seek out a rabbi that they respected and they would petition him to become a part of his Talmudim, a part of his group of disciples. And if they were accepted, they would walk with him. Wherever he went, they would go. When he taught, they would listen. They would be his assistant. They would follow him. And you would regularly in the streets of Jerusalem see these priests walking with a line of young men behind them. And the priests would walk in the front. The rabbi would walk in the front. And their students or their disciples would walk behind them. And they would go with them everywhere they went. And the idea was that over time, by spending that much time with your rabbi, you'd become a carbon copy of him. And there was an ancient blessing that the Jews would pronounce to these men. And they would say, may you, be, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you walk so closely to your teacher that the dust from his feet rises up and is always upon you. That you become just like him. Well, as you know, Jesus was a rabbi. But Jesus did things a little bit different. See, Jesus did not wait for students to come to him and petition him to be a part of his Talmudim. Instead, he chose the ones he wanted and he went to them and invited them to be a part of his group. That's partly why Jesus told his disciples at the end of his earthly ministry, you did not choose me, but I chose you that you would go and bear much fruit. See, it's an amazing, beautiful, fantastic, astonishing thing to think. If you're a follower of Jesus today, do you know why you're a follower? Is it because you were the highest rated draft pick on the board? And he, No, that's not it. Is it because you were so impressive that he just had that? No, that's not it. It's because in his grace, he looked upon you and chose you to be his follower. It's an incredible privilege to be chosen to be a follower of Christ. And I can't even imagine the audacity of being chosen and called by Jesus and then saying, no, I'm not interested. So Jesus was going to put together his Talmudim, and he was going to call these men to be his followers. So this series of message, messages is really about that. It's really about us trying to become more like Jesus by watching the example of his life and then applying it in our own lives. Now, <clears throat> I did a search and came up with over 100 passages of Scripture that talked about God's calling on our lives to follow his example and become like him. And so we're going to read those hundred passages, right? No, we're not. We won't do that. But I did pick out five or six, okay? And, and you can just write these notes down. You don't have to look them up. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Imitators of God, walk in love just like Christ. 1 Peter 2.21. For you have been called for this purpose... And Christ suffered, since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. 
1 John chapter 2, verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, says Jesus, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Also in John chapter 13, verses 13 to 15. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. For so I am. And if I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. See, it's not just about looking at Jesus and admiring him. It's not just about accepting his grace and being blessed by it. But he actually intends that by the example that he sets, we will know how to live our lives. Remember a few years back, uh, you still see him now once in a while, but a few years back, everybody was wearing those bracelets. What did they say? WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? And I think that's really cool. It was taken from the book uh, In His Steps by Sheldon, and, and it was a really cool application, and I liked it. But the more I thought about it, I thought, it's kind of a joke to ask the question, what would Jesus do, when we already know the answer to another question. What did Jesus do? I think that the, the bracelet should say WDJD. What did Jesus do? You know why? Because we have the Gospels. We have the Word of God that tells us how he lived. We see his life before us in the Scripture. Was Jesus compassionate? then we should be compassionate. Uh, was Jesus a servant? Then we should get about the business of serving others. Was, was Jesus uh, willing to lay down his life and be sacrificial for others? Well, we should be too. Was he devoted to the glory of the Father? How can we not be? See, Jesus was these things, and he wants us to become like him. And I just don't think we take this seriously enough sometimes. We, we're so thankful for his grace and we're glad we get to go to heaven and we want to sing the songs and worship him and all of that. But when it comes to actually day-to-day -day living, when it comes to the way we treat our family members, when it comes to the way we interact in our business life, when it comes to the way that we deal with those who hurt us, do we remind people of Jesus? Because that's the goal. You see, the call of Jesus is really quite simple. Turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew. This is our main passage for today. It's going to be the jumping off point for this whole series. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Matthew 4, 18. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Follow me. 
Those words of Jesus should ring in the ears and the hearts of every Christian person. Every time we come to a crossroads and we have a decision to make, are we going to take the wide road or are we going to take the narrow road? Are we going to follow temptation or are we going to uh, seek after righteousness? Jesus says, it's easy, follow me. Just follow me. So Jesus calls these guys, these first four guys, he calls them. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and, he, and they're fishermen, right? And he calls them. Well, who were these guys? Because they go on to be the guys that Jesus uses to change the world. So who were these guys that Jesus used to change the world? These guys who went on to heal the sick and raise the dead. These guys who went on to preach to crowds and see thousands come to know Christ. These guys who stood before priests and kings and gave a testimony of God. These guys who led the infant church in her infancy to greatness. Who were these guys? They wrote the New Testament. Who were these guys? These guys must have been the absolute cream of the crop that Jesus chose for his Talmudim, right? Um, not exactly. <laughs> not exactly. The Bible tells us their claim to fame before they met Jesus. Did you see it in verse 18? Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. There it is. Drum roll, please. They were fishermen. Fishermen, that's what they had to bring to the table. Now listen, nothing against fishermen. I am a big fan of fishermen because I love seafood. So I have no problems with fishermen. I'm not putting fishermen down. What I'm saying is these guys were not the captains of industry. These guys were not the ones who were chosen to stay in the Sabbath school long term so they could eventually become rabbis. These guys are not scholars. They're not priests. They're not political leaders. These guys are simple working men that no one ever thought of in terms of religious leadership until Jesus came along and saw them and called them. They were fishermen. But their story was not about who they were. Their story was about who they were going to become. You see, Christianity is not so much about who you are or even where you are. Christianity is about where you're going and who you're becoming. Let me say that again. Christianity is not so much about where you are or even who you are. Christianity is about where you're going and who you're becoming. Some of us have gotten so bogged down in our lives, gotten so bogged down in our face because we, we stumbled, we fell, we ran into a wall, we, we ran into a circumstance we didn't know how to handle. We got disappointed with God and we began to distance ourselves from God. And we now look at ourselves and we go, yeah, you know, that's, I'm, not, I'm not ever going to be a world changer. I'm not... I'm not even that into Jesus anymore. And God says, you know what, my friend? It's not about who you are. And it's not about where you are. It's about answering the call to follow Jesus. And then it becomes about who you can, who you can become and where you can go. Jesus said, follow me. That's where you're going to go. And I will make you fishers of men. That's who you're going to become. That's the theme of the Christian life. Remember, 
we could go all the way down through time. Abram was a pagan when God called him to what? Follow me. And God used him to change the world. Moses was a murderer on the run when God called him. Rahab was a harlot. David was a shepherd. Gideon was the son of a farmer, the, the weakest family in Israel and the youngest son in that family. Mary was a teenager pregnant out of wedlock. Matthew was a tax collector. And Paul was a persecutor of the church. So what? Did that stop God from using them? Of course not. In fact, I'm often of the opinion that it's people like that that God loves to use the most because then he gets the glory. God changed their lives as they followed him and then he changed the world through them. You know what they had in common, all those people I just mentioned? They were called by God's grace and they answered the call to follow him. And when Jesus called the fishermen, he was not hung up on where they had been or even who they had been. He was focused on where they were going and who they were going to become. And guess what? Jesus looks at you the same way. He, he doesn't look at you and go, oh, disqualified. Oh, not, not available. He looks at you and says, oh, I see the potential. If this person would simply say yes and follow me. Jesus calls you with the same calling that he called those fishermen. Those unqualified, unimpressive, unrenowned fishermen. Follow me. And I will make you who I have designed you to be. And you will never know the life you were meant to live until you answer the call to follow him. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, I answered that call back when I was seven years old in Sunday school. And then I got baptized and I've been coming to church ever since. This message is not for me. I already answered the call. Oh, no, 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 no. You misunderstand. This is not just a call to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. The accepting of Jesus as Lord and Savior is step one in a life of following him. And so the question is not, did you ever accept Jesus? The question is, are you following him? Are you getting covered in the dust of your rabbi? You're never going to know the life he intended for you to have until you too drop your nets, walk away from your boats, all those things that you counted as valuable and important and lay them aside that you might follow him. Okay, you say, but where's it going to take me? <laughs> you notice that the disciples didn't ask that question. Jesus didn't even offer an answer because it's not about where he takes you. It's about who he makes you. See, if you agree to follow Jesus, I'll tell you where he's going to take you. Wherever it is that you need to go. <laughs> wherever it is that will shape you and mold you and conform you into the image of Christ. He's going to cause all things to work together in your life so that you come into the image of Christ. Why? So that when people see you, 
they will be reminded of him. What did Jesus say? That, that we should do our good works in such a way that people will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. The point is not to get people to look at you and go, oh, he's so much like Jesus. The point is to get people to look at you and immediately know that their gaze should be on Jesus himself. He will take you where you need to go. He will make you who you need to be. One step at a time as you are covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now I'm going to invite you, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, to just take a moment and bow your head. Because it's time for us to really talk to God on an individual basis. And I want to invite you to a time of personal prayer. To just shut out everything else that's going on and bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to invite you to pray a prayer of surrender. To speak to God about answering the call to follow him. Because in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about all these specific ways you can follow him. All the things that you can follow him in. But it doesn't matter until you say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to drop my nets. I'm going to leave my boat and I'm going to follow you. What is the net that you need to drop to follow Jesus? Whatever it is, take a moment and talk to him about that now. Surrender to him. Lord, we do surrender to you. Not, not because uh, you are an enemy who is taking us captive, but because you're the Lord of lords and the King of kings and you have a plan for our lives. And some of us, quite frankly, are missing it because we're not willing to follow you. And so I pray for each one of us today that you would speak to us individually, Holy Spirit, about how you want to lead us, what you want to change in us, what it is that we're holding on to that we need to let go of. What are those idols that Pastor Ricky talked about that we need to put down and allow you to crush under your feet? Father, we want to surrender to you. We want to experience your life the way you intended it to be. And so, Father, we, we lift our hands. No, no more resistance, no more arguments, no more my plans. But Father, we want to follow you and let you make us whoever it is you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.